Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. If you're visiting today, and I don't think we've got any real visitors today because everybody is either an old Hillheadite, a previous Hillheadite, an ex-youth group member. There are plenty of us uh, who belong here, actually, but haven't been around recently. So welcome, everyone. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee at the end of this service. Just turn left outside this door and you'll find the refreshment station just there. And that will give you a chance uh, to catch up with everybody. I think, as most of you know, our Minister Katrina is leading worship at her old church in Hugglescote this morning down in Leicestershire. So she too is having uh, reunions with people that she knows very well from the past. And so we're delighted that our worship is being led this morning by the Reverend Dr David Ferguson. Um, Again, I don't think I need to tell you that David is Professor of Divinity at Edinburgh University and Principal of New College there, but grew up in this church, and so it's a particular pleasure to welcome him and also Margot this morning, and we hope that you enjoy this time of worship with us. We're also grateful to Sheila for standing in uh, kind of late on in the day to play for us this morning, as Paul can't be with us. And as usual, everything we need to follow the service, including the words of all our hymns, are on our printed order of service. Uh, Just note that the December edition of our church magazine, The Key, is available this morning. Please don't leave without taking one. It's got all the details of our special Christmas services and other Christmas activities. So if you want to be in the right place at the right time on the right day, please take a copy with you to refer to. Uh, Remember, because of the new data protection regulations, you'll no longer find it online, I'm afraid. So you need to take a hard copy if you want to know what's happening. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to be here, and I'm grateful for your warm welcome. Your secretary has been very patient in trying to find a date uh, when I can come here. Uh, We finally made it. And it's good to share in these new surroundings uh, with old friends and new. Uh, I thank you for your generous introduction, which I'm sure my mother has enjoyed. (laughs) Let us worship God. Let us sing to God's praise our opening hymn, which is, O Worship the King, All Glorious Above.
together in prayer. Let us all pray. O God, you are a father and a mother to us all. We thank you for everything that reminds us of your love and brings us closer to you. We thank you for music and words of our psalms and hymns, for the memories they awaken and the hearts that are uplifted. We thank you for your holy book to recount your dealings with people long ago and to set before us the story of Jesus and his gospel in the days of his flesh. We thank you for the open door of prayer which no one can shut and for your constant presence ready to seek us out and listen to our needs. We thank you for this day with its call to lay aside the daily task and common round and to enter a place of worship with the people now beside us. We thank you for the preaching and hearing of your word, for the forgiveness of sin, for the enlightening of our minds, for the renewal of our lives. So we ask you to open our minds and our hearts today, that in our time together we may receive the precious things which you are waiting to give us. This we ask through Jesus our Lord, in whose words we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
later this coming week we'll be celebrating St Andrew's Day, St Andrew being the patron saint of Scotland. And this morning I'd like to think briefly about some famous Scottish men and women who have appeared in recent times on our banknotes. Now I've printed out, uh, not some real banknotes I should say, (laughs) but uh, a number of images um, that I managed to download from the web last night. And uh, if the boys and girls want to come forwards uh, to look at these, they're not very large, you're welcome to do so. But I'm going to hold them up uh, in the hope that you can see these and help me to identify them. So here we are. Well done, folks. Well, why don't you go and hold that one up? We'll start with this one. Can you hold that high? Can any... Anybody know who the gentleman on the five pound note is? Do you want to show the choir too? Anybody help us with? Yeah, you, you, you walk up the aisle and uh, you walk up the corridor and, and show them. Uh. Okay, well, that is Alexander Fleming. And uh, what did Alexander Fleming do for us? He uh, discovered penicillin, which is a very important antibiotic. Thank you. Now, let's, why don't you wander around with that one, and we'll see what we can do. Anybody recognize this woman? So have we got that one? Mary Slessor. Now, Mary Slessor was a Scottish missionary and uh, she grew up in Dundee and she went to work in Calabar in West Africa and was uh, a very famous leader in that part of the world. Now, here's a, perhaps an easier one. Famous Scotsman. Would you like to show everybody that one? Okay, we all know who that is, do we? It's uh, Robert Burns, our national poet from Ayrshire, 18th century. Now, you probably don't have many £50 notes in your pockets, but why don't you show us that one? Now, this is a woman whose centenary is being celebrated in Edinburgh on Wednesday. She died a hundred years ago, and uh, they named a maternity hospital after her. Her name is Elsie Ingalls, not uh, Elsie Inglis, as a bishop said on Thought for the Day this week. (laughs) Thank you very much. So Elsie Ingalls was a a, a famous medical pioneer, one of the the first women to train in medicine, Uh, She set up a maternity hospital in Edinburgh, and she was also what we now call a suffragette. She campaigned for women to have a vote in elections. Now, finally, I'm not sure how many hundred-pound notes we have. (laughs) There's one for you to take. Somebody of local significance... 
Yes, it's Charles Rennie Mackintosh, famous architect and designer, maybe best known for the Glasgow School of Art. So these are, thank you very much, these are, are some famous Scottish people that uh, we remember proudly. They appear on our banknotes and we'll be remembering other Scottish people uh, this week when we come to St Andrew's Day. Now these are people who've done something important for this country perhaps but also for other parts of the world. They are people who cared for children, who practiced medicine, who wrote poetry, who designed famous buildings. They improved life and our understanding of God and the world and the conditions of men and women, boys and girls. Each of us serves God in our own time and place. We've been given gifts to use and an opportunity to make the lives of other people better. Each of us in the church has a place, a gift, a form of service that nobody else has, that nobody can repeat in quite the same way. We're probably not going to make the headlines or appear on banknotes, though you never know what lies in the future. But that matters not at all for each one of us, no matter what our age, has a gift, a place, a time, and a day of service by the grace of God to us. So thank you for your help. Uh, You can take these away with you if you want, or you can give them back to me. Thank you very much. I might use them again. You can have that one. That's Sadie, isn't it? Good. Uh, We're singing the next hymn, Give Me Oil in My Lamp, Keep Me Burning.
The Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard all about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathise with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. And in the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, Jesus forgives and heals a paralysed man. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, We have never seen anything like this. famous Scottish philosopher John McMurray once gave a series of lectures here in Glasgow in the late 1950s. The subject of these lectures was the form of the personal. He argued that human beings are irreducibly personal. From the very beginning of our lives we are shaped by a series of interactions with other people. 
There is, he said, no I without a you. So that the basic unit of human existence is you and I together. If we try to reduce human beings to organisms or an assembly of molecules, then we will, he said, distort our identity. These lectures on the form of the personal were largely ignored at the time, but since then they've been discovered by other scholars all around the world, and they have returned constantly to John McMurray's famous work. At the beginning of the book, he makes one very striking claim, and this might set the scene for our reflections this morning on these two Bible passages. Here is what he says, all meaningful action is for the sake of friendship. All meaningful action is for the sake of friendship. This seems a rather startling assertion, and we might think of a few counterexamples. If you go out with your dog for a walk, is that really for the sake of friendship? If you spend a couple of hours working in the garden, where is the friendship in that? But for the most part, McMurray may be onto something. Friendship at its best is an end in itself rather than a means to something else we desire. With the vandalizing of the villagers' flimsy roof, the story of the healing of the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 is one of the most memorable in the gospel story. Some of us were taught it a long time ago as children. I suppose that I might even have enacted it with some of you under the tutelage of Irene Allen and Jesse Swan in the memorial room more than half a century ago. As I recall, these early exercises in improvised theatre could sometimes become quite rowdy occasions. But what I think sets this story apart from many other healing stories in the gospel is that it's a team effort. The man who couldn't walk would not have encountered Jesus apart from the assistance of his friends. They breach the roof and they lower him down into the midst of the crowd Their identity is never disclosed to us. We're not told their names, their age, or their gender. Only the number four is declared. But then the gospel writer says this. When Jesus saw their faith, the text is quite clear. The use of the plural is carefully chosen. It's not his faith that Jesus notes. It's their faith the faith of all five, the paralyzed man and his four companions. Faith is both individual and collective. We have to make our own choices and our own commitments, but these are also enabled by the help and the witness of others who travel along with us. This sustaining of faith by friendship is often underestimated. Steve Acethorpe has just written a book describing the reasons why people leave the churches. 
And one of the saddest and most poignant of these reasons is that people often fail to find love and friendship in the church. By contrast, we might think that many people stick with the church precisely because of the love and the friendship they have found there. This combination of the individual and the collective nature of faith is captured by the two great creeds of the church, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed begins with the words, I believe, but the Nicene Creed begins with the words, we believe. Yaroslav Pelikan, a great church historian, once said that he preferred the we believe of the Nicene Creed. Admitting that there were days when he found faith difficult, half-hearted and uncertain, he drew comfort from the faith of others around him that he could confess collectively. If he couldn't believe as much or as firmly as he wanted, at least there were others standing beside him and carrying him along with their faith as the collective witness of the whole church. We might also see this as a justification of intercessory prayer. If there have been times when we struggle to pray ourselves, then maybe we can draw strength from the knowledge that others have continued to pray for us. We're kept afloat by the effort of others during testing times. We're buoyed up by the people of God who befriend us and name us in their prayers. Maybe we underestimate the importance of this quiet but effective ministry. Earlier, we had the story of Job's three friends, Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz. They're often known as Job's comforters, and generally these three have received a bad press. They accuse Job unfairly of some wrongdoing that is the cause of all his suffering and misfortune. And at the close of the book, they are condemned by God for doing so. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar provide an example of how not to do pastoral support. Silence is better than words of comfort, we're often taught. Admitting that we don't have an explanation for suffering is better than giving a bogus one. And sometimes it's better just to appear to say very little and not to linger. Regular short visits might be better than an occasional long one. Job's comforters, it seems, break many of the rules of modern-day pastoral care. But just maybe they deserve a bit more credit than they've received. Like good friends, they show up at the right time. They don't flinch from accompanying Job at his lowest point. And when they see his distress... They stay with him in silence on his dunghill for seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, it says, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Friendship is about showing up at the right time, 
and keeping company with others when they most need us. Job had three friends. The paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 had four. These numbers are significant in one respect. Friendship is not restricted by its nature. Unlike romantic love, friendship is not an exclusive relationship which seeks the avoidance or intrusion of others. In friendship, intimacy does not require the forsaking of a third party. If two people are friends and a third is admitted into the company and shared activities, all the friendships are enriched. The same applies if three become four and so on. A team can have more than two players. A dinner can be shared by several people. Parties require at least a small crowd. A pilgrimage affords the opportunity of befriending a range of fellow travellers. And so it goes, as the group gets bigger, we might struggle to know everyone equally well. But friendship can naturally be extended, can it not, without detriment to any of the relationships. New friends don't compromise old ones, or at least they shouldn't. And the oft-quoted saying that two's a company, three's a crowd, is surely mean-spirited and quite unnecessary in its restriction. It took four of them to carry the stretcher to Jesus, And the story suggests that there were others also involved in this project. So the circle of faith and friendship can grow. And as this happens, each is enriched by all the others. Plurality is surely a good thing when it comes to friendship. We're nearing the end of the month of November And traditionally, this has been a time for commemorating the communion of saints. We do so before we enter Advent, which begins next Sunday. For a long time, Protestants were a bit suspicious of all this. In the 16th century, there was a fear that cultivating saints would lead to a practice of adoration that bordered on idolatry. So saints' days were abolished at the Reformation to avoid such excesses. Paintings and sculptures of saints were removed from churches. And this resulted in a good deal of ecclesiastical vandalism. But another more positive reason was offered for avoiding the cult of the saints. We should not look to the saints of the past, it was said, as if they belonged to a different spiritual order. We should look instead for inspiration to our fellow Christians, for they too are saints, they bear the image of God, and they live as our sisters and brothers in the faith. God is present to us in in our fellow members in the church, In their lives of steady faith and quiet service, Christ is witnessed. 
It wasn't long before Protestants soon grasped this idea too. And books like Fox's Book of Martyrs soon became bestsellers. The Protestant churches developed their own stories of the heroes of the faith, whose example was held before the church to encourage others. Surely this is a good thing, though it ought not to preclude recognizing the example of previous generations who have gone before us and who worship with us still in the communion of saints. The friends of God are not restricted in number. They multiply in each day and generation, and as they grow, so the company of faith is enriched. These include not only distant examples, but those who are near to us in time and space. Let me end with the story of another Scottish saint. In recent years, Jane Haining has finally become better known. Coming from the borders to work at the Coates factory in Paisley, she felt called to some new form of service. Having offered herself for missionary work, she was appointed in 1932 to teach in a school in Budapest that included many Jewish children. When war broke out, she was asked to return, but she insisted on remaining there with her pupils in occupied Hungary. The authorities soon required her to sew the yellow star of David onto the pullovers of her Jewish children so that their identity could readily be recognized. When she was interrogated as to her motives in working there in Budapest, she confessed that she had wept when attaching the star to their uniforms. Dispatched to Auschwitz, she died there in 1944. And today she is honoured in the stained glass window at Queen's Park, Govanhill Church, and is numbered amongst the righteous of the nations at Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, said Tertullian long ago. And people like Jane Haining are our friends in the faith. They belong to the communion of saints, as we do. And we can draw strength for our own journeys from their presence with us in the church in this and every season. Amen. Thanks be to God for God's word to us. We sing a song of the saints of God, the next
and sisters, let us pray. Lord of all ages, we bring our prayers to you in the darkest month of the year and ask your mercy for our suffering world. We are preparing to celebrate your gift of the birth of Christ our Redeemer, but whilst this makes us happy, we are besieged with conflicting images in the media, adverts for mouth-watering food and expensive toys on the one hand, and appeals for aid to help the starving, the homeless, the sick and in body and mind, the lonely, the sad in the other. And that is just in our own country, our own cities. But then the scope widens to other countries stricken with natural disasters or damaged by war, religious persecution, fanaticism, customs we find culturally unacceptable in this modern world. We see terrible pictures, hear the cries of the victims, the stern words of the presenter. You can help this child recover his or her sight. You can stop these girls from child marriages which ruin their lives. You can provide food, tents and clothes for the refugees driven from their ruined cities to roam strange roads seeking sanctuary. You, 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 and, let's face it, some of us gasp, Who, me? Me? I am barely coping with life as it is. Mortgage, rent, putting food on the table, closing my children, providing heat in the home. Look, I'm not uncaring. I give to local charities. I care. Besides, it's not just one child one refugee. There are hundreds and thousands of them. Then some of us think of the story of Job and remember how after all his suffering, God made everything all right, made Job more prosperous and happier than before. And we think, oh, how I wish 
God could wave a Harry Potter-type wand and do the same for us and our world. But that's not the way it is. Life is not a fantasy. We are your people, Lord, not your puppets. Jesus, your son, taught us we are your caring hands in this world. We must be the friends to the outcast and the lonely. We must repair the damage done. So, Lord, we pray that in your mercy you will help us to enjoy and appreciate our many blessings, which, though not perfect, are greater than so many have in our world, and help us to share them where we can. Give us renewed hope that things can change for the better. Give us strength, Lord, to do what we can by our own talents to help the needy at home and far away and influence those in authority to make the changes which will bring us closer to the perfect world you planned for us. Dear Creator God, Friend of us all, Saint and Sinner, we join in the company of the saints of all the ages, the ordinary, extraordinary men and women who campaigned selflessly for the rights of others and still do so today in saying, Grant our prayers, loving God, the prayers we ask humbly in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And while we are at it, thank you, God, for the joyful gift of Christmas coming, the light of everlasting hope shining in the darkness. May that light shine on everyone today and every day, the world over. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, as we set apart this offering for the work of the church, we give you thanks that we, by grace, can take our place amongst the company of the faithful, apostles, saints, martyrs. As they journey with us, let us not fail them or you in the days ahead, 
This we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our closing hymn is Lord for the Years. now go forth in the peace and the praise of God and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit rest upon you and remain with you now and forevermore.